0: hey there art world <laughs> we're back hello you have what way too that? much energy do i i've been up since like four a.m <laughs> living my best life how's it going the uh miss art world it's whoever i am <laughs> i wanted you to so i have like 10 nicknames for you and they all just mumbled jumbled together in my head it's going really good lisa how are you i'm clearly doing excellent you are you Doing know, I'm operating very... on a high level. How much caffeine level. have you had today? Too much. <laughs> Way too much. It's concerning.
1: I think it's great.
0: I'm also um, super amped about our topic today, which is um, The Price of Everything, HBO Documentary.
1: Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. We've been wanting to watch this for a while. It's been on our list. It has been. And mm. we watched it together. We did. Full disclosure... <laughs> We uh, got kind of comfy, watched it. We had a, such a pleasant evening. Ate some chocolate-covered bananas. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. It's really the right way to watch <laughs> It's the movie. only way. The only thing we were missing was wine. Yes. What a bummer. But to be fair to our listeners, we did not talk about our thoughts. We just took notes. We made some off-handed comments. Yeah, you're a dirty liar. I paused the movie like 10 times. Oh.
0: <laughs> but you did stop me and be like, save it save it save, we'll it save it and then i'd pause it again
1: and yeah did you stop for questions i feel like most of it was questions
0: i guess so there were questions that i like knew i was gonna be going into more detail on later mm-hmm. you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah
0: good times i think
1: my first thought of this movie was hey is that what Jeff Koons actually looks like? That literally was the first statement out of your mouth. That's Jeff Koons. <laughs> I was like. And I knew when yeah. he was, I've seen photos of him. I just. Did he get old? I, n- no, because I feel like he's a good looking man. Yeah, he's definitely. Uh, I'd, I'd put him in
0: the Fox realm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. This has digressed so quickly. So much. Um. All right. So the price of everything um, is about how the art world has changed in a money market into a money market, essentially. Um, and I was under the impression it was going to dive a lot more into the finances and like using art to trade as assets, um, similar to real estate for the one percenters. Um, but it, I don't really feel like I walked away with much on financials and money, but more about the uh, modern-day art world. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Uh, I thought they're... So I feel like because it's such a complicated market yeah, that it's almost too hard to dive too deeply into it. Uh-huh. But I did appreciate... So they had a whole interview with us, the woman who runs Sotheby's. What is her name? Amy... Kappa Capalazzo. Capa... Yes. She was...
0: That woman... Is intense. She isn't intense. She makes for great television. That is a
1: New Yorker. To that her is, bone. To the bone? Oh yes. my God. I
0: want all New Yorkers in my life. That was entertainment.
1: I And I love New Yorkers. They're just so, like you said, intense yeah. and passionate, and they'll tell you how it is. Oh my gosh.
0: When they asked, um, are masterpieces still existing? And she was like, that's like asking me if the future exists. <laughs> I was like, I love her. I could watch her all day. <laughs>
1: Amy, I mean she were listening
0: a couple times it was great it was great Amy
1: you're welcome on the pod anytime yes we'll just let you talk just the whole time um, but I did think that the whole when she was speaking about how much this the sale would bring in mm-hmm. um, I thought that was really interesting because it's so so much money goes into these auction houses
0: yes it was unreal mm-hmm also I thought it was really weird behind them how the art was being stored. Was that just
1: me? Um c- because it was on the floor? They like on the floor leaned up like I don't think so. So we when I was doing um when I was the gallery director, we would store pieces on the floor. Really? But they had these like um Spongy mat things that you would put. Oh, okay, and that way, because a lot of curators will put all of the pieces in the room and then move things around as they're working Got to it. see what works on yeah. different walls. So I think that's kind of a normal uh, way to have them stored. Obviously, you don't want to store them down there very long because they are—you can kick them or accidentally yeah. run into them—and those would be horrible pieces to do that too since they're worth so much money unreal Mm -hmm. i bet everyone in that office is very careful they have to be could you imagine just like tripping one day like falling onto
0: a piece of like canvas
1: yeah i can't imagine doing that (laughs) (laughs) that'd be terrible i'd run away so quickly it makes like me cringe Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and i did like that they talked about kind of um where is it the flipping so buying art low and then selling it high and how that ruins art career artist careers um and it's pretty much it's frowned upon but a lot of collectors do that and um you don't want a flipper to buy one of your pieces which i think was really interesting as a I feel like that's unique to the art world. So
0: I am I was curious about this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully you can expand some more. Um, and I see why, like, it's absolutely terrible and it's, like, sucks for the artist. Um, but in the same sense, I'm just curious. I'm throwing this out there. It sucks for that one piece. But then doesn't that put all of their pre- like art now being able to be sell- sold at a higher level? Like, doesn't that automatically put them into like a museum realm or now any new piece they create has the
1: option to go up at that level um, at a gallery? So one of the things that they talked about in the movie uh-huh. was that if they're bought too high at auction, then they're out of the price realm of museums to, buy, to purchase it. Like if they sell too high, museums cannot afford to buy the pieces anymore. Unless you're the Getty. And the Getty, like you said, only buys it's one. Like one a year. Yeah. But like, so like that artist, her one
0: piece went for a super high amount.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so would it ruin her career then if she tried to sell one for much lower but still much higher than it was before to like a museum or at a gallery space?
1: I think it really depends on what the artist wants because uh-huh. she wanted. So we're talking about artists and we're going to butcher her name. But um, Nijika, sure, Ny- uh, she's a LA-based artist. We will post um, a piece of her work. Very interesting. Such
0: cool, such cool pieces.
1: Yes, um, but so one of her pieces sold at auction for what was it, nine million? Yeah. And she was like shocked because that person had just bought the piece recently, flipped it, sold it for a higher amount and the one of the problems is that the artist never sees that money that money and that's awful yes it will then help raise her um prices of her work which could be good but her whole goal and most of the artists seem to say that their goal was to end up having their pieces in museums yeah if museums are priced out then her whole goal as an artist is not to then share her work. It's it would be end up in apartments. Yeah. And then her popularity as an artist might not t- last the test of time. So her prices could drop if um, she's not seen in the public realm.
0: Got it. That makes a lot more sense. They didn't really explain that mm-hmm. very well.
1: And there could be a lot more economic it, yeah, things that play into that. But that's how I, that's what I took away from it.
0: Well, and that was one of, I think, like the saddest things about the entire documentary um, was Jer Bear's, uh, like one of his ending notes um, about how art collectors, they buy these, they put them in, a, in their personal collections in apartments. And most people will never see them again hmm In real life.
1: Yeah. So and I feel
0: like every artist you talk to, their kind of goal is to live on forever in a museum. hmm And to have their work stand the test of time. So Jerry Bear is Jerry
1: Saltz. Uh, Everyone should know that by now. <laughs> In case this is a brand new episode for you. Um, yeah, I thought that statement was super powerful because he was saying that he goes to auctions to soak in this piece that he will never ever get to see again yeah that makes me sad. that made me
0: so sad mm-hmm. i think that's the first time i've ever thought about it like
1: that yeah i had not thought about it either yeah before which um takes us
0: to my power player of the movie you picked a power
1: player of the movie you didn't no Have you, what what was just someone that you liked? Yeah. Oh, okay. Can you guess who it is? Uh, was it Poon?
0: No, I do like Poon. But it was Stefan Edlis.
1: Oh, who is a collector. But
0: he donated so many pieces to, uh, the Met.
1: hmm
0: Um, and one of the saddest, in the opposite sense, way was when, um, They were walking through the Met to look at their pieces on display and the beeping kept going on because they were getting too close to these pieces that were just in their house formerly. That they had donated. Like you you would think they would like turn it off when they walked through.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And they even said, oh, we're getting too close. Yeah, but I love him. He was great because I feel like he wasn't a BSer collector. No. He would answer the questions that were, you know, complicated, Full. Philosophical. can't yeah. speak today questions I was like hey I can't answer that it's art or is it art doesn't matter I bought it like, yeah. so I
0: so it <laughs> he looked at one piece he goes yeah you know there's nothing conceptual about this piece
1: but it's good <laughs> which is a Damien Hirst so uh, it, most people would argue that it is conceptual but and that was the piece in, of the sheep in yes. the <laughs> Hamaldrahyde yeah, And he said that um, when he first bought it, like the sheep was leaking yeah, uh, snot in the nose. And then they had to like uh, take out some of the hemaldrahyde and he had to uh, get rid of like the so leaking this in yeah. the sheep and then put the fluid back into it. But that's so interesting. As an art collector, you buy this piece and then you are like. This Gotta is your <laughs> things that you have to take care of. Yeah. And yeah, he had very interesting pieces. He had um, one piece that was a full figure of a woman yeah. standing, and it was a candle. yeah. And he even said like, oh, when I first saw these candle pieces, I thought that was stupid because why would you destroy your own artwork? And then he bought one. yeah. And I don't know if he bought one because he ended up, deciding that he liked it or he just re- recognized that it was a valuable piece in art history that he wanted to then own. Yeah. It seems like he really studies
0: and buys or trades um, with less passion for the pieces, but more thinking about the long-term assets too. There yeah. are some you could tell he loved and some that he was just like, oh, I traded this one.
1: Yeah, there was one portrait that he his wife, had a replica made after they donated the original piece to the Met, and he yeah. missed it so much that she just had like yeah, a and piece he was like, "I made. love the print, <laughs> <laughs> it works for me." Yeah, <laughs> but there was his other piece that he owned called Him, and it was uh, Hitler on his oh, knees, yeah, uh, with like a angry face, and he would only refer to this sculpture as. You know that's him over there and his history as a german jew-, jew yeah who had had to flee germany to then purchase a piece like that it can't be a good feeling but no. he recognized that that is such an important piece in our history that he had to then own it
0: absolutely i honestly i'm just going to throw this out there to any directors this guy needs his own documentary <laughs> he carried it he was amazing so interesting very funny so funny i want to know everything about his life Mm -hmm. i'm putting that out there i'd buy (laughs) (laughs) someone's gotta take that up come on do it i don't know anything about making documentaries
1: uh i don't know if i have a power player but i can tell you that i was very highly annoyed with that's not that's the opposite of a power player. i know okay i do have a power player I don't know how to say his name. Simon De Pooty. Who? He's this guy. I wanna show you a picture. I like him. He's a very famous auctioneer. Oh yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. He wasn't in... What made him your power player? I just like him as a human being. That's you okay. <laughs> I thought he was great in it. Everything he said was uh was great. Okay. Yeah
0: man i just like i'm over here like pitching a documentary for my power player like (laughs) have some passion
1: okay well maybe i need to think about this longer i do have someone that i was annoyed with does that count yeah alex nim nim can you say it sure
0: that would be alex oh he was the worst nimirov nimirov i don't care if i never see him again it'll be too soon
1: he so he had like a very tiny clip in the piece, what or is in the didn't film. Didn't even like put his name. We had no idea who he was and why he was talking about. He like goes up onto the roof and there's a giant Jeff Koons piece that's the shape of a diamond. It's a green diamond, and he's he is what I feel is wrong with the art world. One hundred percent. Where you're just spitting out nonsense that doesn't make sense or is so hard to understand like what you're trying to say that you leave the conversation going what
0: like all i took away from it was i don't think he likes this piece and he's gonna go eat a chicken salad sandwich
1: well you were like i think he likes it and then we had to go back and watch the whole thing again and be like right he doesn't like it right
0: you were right he doesn't but I tuned out so hard the first time through (laughs) because it was just nonsense. It was everything that's wrong. Mm -hmm.
1: Snobby nonsense. tell me straight. And that's why I liked the collector guy, Stefan, because he tells it to you straight why he does and does not like something. Yeah. You don't have to like read into this poetic, epic story that he's putting himself in and he's putting... The artwork as a monster that he has to then fight, but then he's a losing man. Like, just get to the point, dude. Yeah. Hey, Alex, you just took the bigger, biggest loss of this movie.
0: Oh. You're taking home the L. Oh, oh that's <laughs> mean. Shouts to you, Alex. <laughs> it's not mean. It's true. It is true. I don't even have a nice critique on him. Be better. Yes. Just, just talk right. You know who he should talk like Stefan Or Jer Bear Jer Bear Amazing I love him even more
1: He Our is so passionate continues. But you also You can listen to him And know exactly how he feels about you something You know how he feels He's smart He's
0: well spoken In- Just incredible Alright should we dive into Coons
1: Jeff Coons Yep There was Jeff Coons or you And Poonz. Poonz There's a lot of Oons Yes uh, let's talk about Jeff Koons. Let's first, talk about Jeff Koons and then go into Poons and then we'll talk about Poons. So, hopefully, most of you that are listening know or have seen a piece of Jeff Koons, but he's famous for um, his very shiny metal metallic sculptures. Uh, there's a bunny that's super famous for me. That's, i would argue is more famous than the bunny is the balloon dogs in las vegas balloon bunny i think they're saying the bunny came before the dogs yes so they're balloon bunnies balloon dogs he does have like uh roses that he did in las vegas Mm -hmm. the ballerina in new york Mm -hmm. um the
0: diamond on alex's roof
1: so super famous. I thought it was interesting that they talked about his background a little bit, as having worked on Wall Street. Yeah, having him be like this ultimate sales guy who was selling his ideas
0: before. If he wasn't so successful, he literally sounded like the Firefest guy. Yeah, but like sleazy. But he's not. Because not he, he actually. because he's actually done it and he's successful. Mm-hmm. But he, like it didn't paint him in the best picture as a young Jeff Coons.
1: Yeah, but then at the same time, you walk away and you're like, he's a badass. Yeah, he is a badass. Absolutely. Because that's the hardest part, I think, for a lot of artists is to actually be able to sell their work to be that salesperson. Mm-hmm. And he's, I feel like he, his success has a lot to do with his ability to sell his to own sell. work.
0: Absolutely. Um, So
1: I left very conflicted on, on Jeff Koons. I know you did. Yeah. I have a love-hate relationship with Jeff Koons. There's a lot of aspects that I respect. Um, and then there's also things that I don't respect yeah. at the same time. So it's really a toss-up for me. And I know... Do you have more about like why you I have, dislike? I have two things. Okay. Um, so the first part was...
0: I have to give shouts to my sneaky player of the movie. I, I, you know, had to put people in the factions. (laughs) 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 Okay. So my sneaky player is the interviewer
1: who straight
0: asked him and he asked a bunch of quite a few good questions that like put people on the spot that I liked. Um, And he asked, so it doesn't matter that you physically don't touch these paintings. And when they were walking through um, the gazing ball, Uh, studio with all the artist assistants um, working on the masterpieces
1: can you explain the gazing balls
0: yeah so um there is a shiny blue very coons like um ball or sphere um that sits in front of these copied masterpieces by there's a vermeer i think the mona lisa might be one of them um but like very very famous works of art um, that are being repainted by his artist' assistants. And then the sphere sits in front of them, or the ball, um, which I'm like, what is his thing with blue balls? He likes the balls. He likes the balls. <laughs> um, and it's supposed to be a reflection of like yourself and the painting. and I'm not really quite sure where where he's going with this one, to be honest. Um, and he kind of said, when the interviewer asked, Um, so it doesn't really matter that you're not physically touching any of these. And you and I have talked about artist assistance before. Um, and how the artist is the one who conceptually like is has the rights to it because it's their conceptual idea, so it doesn't really matter. Um and so this was two parts for me. The first part was how he explained it was trash. Like he was like, Well, I do I do have a hand in every aspect of it. Like just say you conceptually came up with the idea and that's why it's your artwork. hmm Like that would have been a better explanation than trying to draw out, well, like, my hand is touching it in every step of the process by overseeing it. Like a master delegator. My second issue with this gazing ball series is one thing we've always we've talked about on the podcast before is for an I piece to be yours like 80 percent of it should conceptually be yours but i don't feel like i feel like the majority of the gazing ball series aren't his at all
1: because he's using the already made um and he's not images from art history yeah because he's not making a big enough difference
0: to the existing piece for it to be his conceptual rights and
1: maybe i'm wrong there but that's my thought um so i agree with you as far as not altering his, I don't know what this series is called, but the Blue it's Ball the series, ball. the Gazing Ball series, I, I totally agree with you. I don't think he's taking enough artistic, um, his own artistic expression into mm-hmm. those pieces to really make it a Jeff Koons. He's basically just putting a blue ball in front of older masterpieces. Yeah. Um, and reprints of that. I think maybe it might be interesting to have him buy older historical paintings and then put the blue ball and then call it a collaboration with an artist from the past. Like that I can get on conceptual-wise because his pieces now almost feel like he's ripping off and not giving those artists credit for their actual work. Exactly. Um, I do disagree-ish with the uh, fact that he has assistance in his studio because i know a lot of big name artists do that like they're making so much work and they have such a demand for it that they do become an overseer i just think as an artist you want to have a hand in the creativity like um poon who is this painter yeah. he wouldn't I could never see Poon, who is a abstract painter who just paints and paints and paints, even ever having an assistant allowed to put a mark on his canvas. And just to clarify,
0: I don't think it's bad that he has artist assistants. I get that he wouldn't be able to make it this level and amount and everything like that on such a quick turnaround without them. He just needs to own. He just needs to own the reasoning. reasoning. And how he explained it was, it was just silly. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it's kind of like, just like, you don't have the technical skills to do the oil paintings at that level. Like, that's fine. But don't say, well, I have a hand in everything because I'm telling them to do the stencil work or I'm telling them to do this. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like own it up and or just say like, Yeah, like, I have a hand in it, and I picked every one of these art assistants because they are incredibly technically sound. And I don't know, like, give some credit to those who are doing
1: it. Doing the actual work? Yeah. Well, that, I think, is what is fascinating. And just own that,
0: like, or just if someone asks you that, talk about the conceptual idea more and not just, like, I don't know. He went on the defensive a little bit, and I don't think it sounded as well as it could have.
1: Yeah. And that's a question he should be used to answering. You would think. Um, which I find very interesting as a collector who will then buy one of those pieces. Mm-hmm. You're buying Jeff Koons's idea painted by somebody else. Yeah. And then painted from something that's already made in history. Like, it's not even that person, that assistants who's painting it. It's not even... Jeff Coons's real original idea—it's he's already taking it from somebody else. What, it's a this, copy. This whole
0: series just is so—I don't know—messy to me.
1: Mm-hmm. But people are gonna buy it because it's Coons. It's Coons. It's controversial. Yeah. Because we can go on and on, and everyone could have all different kinds yeah. of opinions. Because our collector friend Stefan really enjoyed those pieces, but he
0: admitted. That without the ball in front of it it was just a cop piece of copy
1: yes yeah but i think as we talked about before he's so um attuned to what is gonna make art history that yeah jeff coons is controversial because people can argue that it's not his art yeah and that's why that's what the art world loves yeah i guess <laughs> Freaking coons! <laughs> uh, we should talk about Poon, Larry Poon. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually featured on the cover. The cover, yeah. Yeah, which I was surprised. Like, I know he had a very prominent role in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's just his story of staying true to his artistic vision that is why he is on the cover.
0: Yeah, and I think it, it was just this whole, I mean, we were kind of following partly his story throughout the whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, of him being one of the big artists that came around, like when Andy Warhol was getting big, when all these new contemporary artists were springing into, I guess, ex- the market's existence, um, because all of the masterpieces were sold off to collectors and unattainable, um, at least how the, that's how the movie kind of portrayed it. Mm-hmm. And he was really big and then just disappeared. People thought he was dead. No one knows why Like he changed his art around. He didn't want to just do what was selling. He wanted to follow his own passion. Um, And they kind of said that that there's people who are watching the market and waiting for work to be undervalued to come snap back in. I don't think he said that, right? He didn't, but um, Amy did. I want to say it was Amy. That there's almost, and a they formula. were talking there about that there's a formula, and they were talking about Poonza's work and to get it
1: for uh, an auction, which is interesting to think about. Like, uh it, she said that they the formula is where they take underrepresented artists, yeah, and then kind of rediscover them and then make them the center of the art world again which seems like that's going to be poons Mm -hmm. based on the movie yes and he i really enjoyed that he kept saying i don't want to be known as poons i want to be mozart like i want to be someone who's doing dynamic pieces That are not copies of them over and over and over. Yeah,
0: and he keeps
1: changing his style
0: and moving forward and progressing, and like was not taking poop from anyone. No, like he stood his ground. I just I loved him.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a as a person, he seemed like an artist that you could really respect because you know that he's doing it for and his art passion. Didn't want to deal with like the BS. Mm-hmm. of the art world. Yeah. And he, he doesn't care about it, really. He doesn't. He, and
0: he, he doesn't care about the money. He cares about his art living on forever.
1: Yes. He liked, at the very end, where he, they give him a show yeah. with his new pieces, he really enjoyed seeing them up in a gallery, appreciated, and it seemed like for a long period of time he didn't get that recognition as, oh yeah, we appreciate your artwork. Yeah. It was more like, well, why aren't you doing these dot paintings that you got famous for a long time ago. Yes, exactly.
0: But It was so cool. Yeah. I love his,
1: and his work is awesome. It's so big. Mm-hmm. As a artist, it's a great story to follow because it makes you think like, oh, I, I don't have to stick to the same um, style forever. Yeah. And eventually when you're underrepresented well, artist that is not valued you could then be rediscovered when you kind of see
0: these artists some artists playing into the market and just recreating pieces in different colors Mm -hmm. to sell
1: yes and And you
0: have to think that gets boring for the artists
1: well yeah it's got to get boring and i really liked uh jerry salt's talking about jackson pollock and how jackson pollock created his drip paintings and only did his drip paintings for i think what 48 months yeah and he was saying like once you create fire do you it's so brave of jackson pollock to then stop making fire and try and make something completely new like a new fire and that you can tell that jackson pollock was a true artist because he was going to follow his passion and not these amazing drip paintings that took the world by storm. Yes. I like that part. <laughs> I like it. I like it. God, Gerber so
0: well spoken. All right. Um
1: let's see. Overall, I think it was definitely worth watching. I think it was really interesting. They had a lot of power players in the art world that had different kinds of opinions they had art dealers collectors
0: curators artists
1: i really like the lady who was a collector let me find her name uh inga rubenstein yes who they only had her in there for a short period of time but she was in her house and kind of showing her Pieces that she had collected and she walks into the living room and there's, or a room, they probably have several rooms, but there's a, uh, I think it was Damien Hirst's yeah, butterfly piece. And she was so, she was talking about how they went to Art Basel. She just kind of looked over, didn't know who the artist was and was so moved by it that she started crying and then when they were interviewing her, she started crying again so much so that she had to like walk away from the camera. Yeah. I was like, that's it's I almost I was torn because I was like, oh, it's silly to be so taken, was, but yeah. that's art. like I want to discover a piece that I'm so moved. yeah that it brings me to tears every time you see it.
0: mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I had a question. okay. Do institutions ever put work up for auction to be able to buy more or to be able to keep on doing business? Like, I'm guessing the Getty's
1: fine, but another major museum. They will. They Mm -hmm. will put some pieces up for auction. It's not always seen in the best light, but usually it's to put pieces up for auction to then get a more a piece that they want more More. Um, because there is only so much room in a museum or institution and like Amy from um, Sotheby's was saying that I she said I know a lot of artists want their pieces in a museum but museums don't always show all of their collection most of the time they don't show their collection so most paintings end up in storage and if they have a show if the public wants to see a piece there's a lot of ifs involved to say that your piece will live on being seen by the public a lot of pieces are never brought out to be shown again dang and so the argument well i want my pieces in in a museum collection is nice but that doesn't mean that your pieces will actually live on where she was saying that if a private collector buys it yeah, artists just have something against wealthy people buying art, but it's a private collector will eventually sell it at some point or pass it along. Yeah. It's not being it at, at least it's being seen and appreciated by one person or one family versus in a box in museum storage never to be appreciated. That what
0: makes was your sense. question?
1: Oh <laughs> yeah, no, no, you answered it very well. There in the news, um, recently there was, and I can't remember what city it was, but a city had a art collection that was donated to them for a program to have original art pieces in schools, and for some reason, they were saying that it just the um, funding wasn't there anymore that they needed to sell half of their collection to raise money and the artists in that community were really upset that the city was then selling half of their collection because they felt that they were getting rid of the art that is so valued in the city yeah but the city was saying hey we haven't had these on display for a really long time they're just in storage like it's better to get them out in the world than to be seen yeah yes and I can see br- both points. Like, why not continue that really cool program of having art in schools? Yeah. But there's got to be some logistical reason that it wasn't working. Definitely. That makes sense. Any uh, closing notes? I would say watch it. I, I like it. Straightforward yeah. to the point. No BS here. It's on HBO. Uh, Marilyn Minter's in it, who I love.
0: Marilyn Minter's really cool.
1: She's a badass.
0: Yeah, I like her.
1: Mm-hmm. I, just, I think it's really interesting. It's a great insight into how the art market works, how much money is in it. Oh, I do have a something that we kind of commented on. Sure. Was we were talking, or someone in the film mentioned that wealthy people buy pieces of art Almost as real an estate. investment as real estate, yeah. And we were talking about how someone like or us, yeah, probably wouldn't go in and buy a painting or a piece of art as a investment or a real estate because it is risky. Yeah, we no one ever knows which artists are going to stand the test of time and be really famous and be able to resell it at a higher price um so i think for most people they wouldn't think of art as an investment as real estate but i can see if you have so much money that it's almost a fun game to play yeah like i'm sure stefan there's a lot of like research and thought process that goes into which pieces he wants to buy and it's almost like testing himself and his knowledge of what will then be valuable later. Definitely.
0: How does someone like someone who's going to go flip a piece, how do they find that emerging artist when they're at the lower cost level?
1: I think it can be anywhere from walking into a gallery, walking into a studio visit Mm -hmm. or open studios, Instagram. Yeah. Um, I think nowadays there's all kinds of ways. I think back in the day it was going to group shows and studio visits and kind of discovering an artist that just hasn't gotten their big break yet. Yeah. Do you think there's a lot of people who don't
0: mean to fl- Is it Would it be considered flipping if you had bought in a piece of hers 10 years ago? And then she gets bigger and like, you know, five years into to the point where she's huge. You then sell it. I don't know. Because like the intention wasn't there.
1: Mm-hmm. But then you're kind of sitting on a money bag. I think I think flipping is more defined as like it's something that's done right away. You yeah. bought a piece and then you put it up yeah. for sale right away. I think in 10 years, it's normal for a person to want to change out their collection. Mm-hmm. So that, I don't think, would be defined as really flipping an art okay. piece. But I could be wrong. I don't think I am. though. <laughs> I, I mean, I wouldn't
0: think so. Because I, I wouldn't imagine an artist being upset about someone who was supporting them early in their career at some point mm-hmm. letting go of a piece. Yeah. And you artists know, 10, do want to sell. Later. Yeah.
1: Uh, Stefan I thought was interesting as a collector he was saying that he doesn't like to write checks so he would then trade he art pieces big on trading art pieces. Mhm. Which is trading assets essentially at that yes. price point. And I thought that was really interesting that collectors will trade yeah rather than, you know, write a check for it. I just I know artists trade with other artists. I didn't realize that collectors were trading trade with other with, yep.
0: collectors. No, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be interesting to get someone who fully understands the money side on to break that
1: down more. Yeah, if we can get someone who, uh, if you're out there and listening, if you work in an auction house, hey, we would love to have you. Sotheby's, I'm looking at you. Or Christie's. Or Christie's. Yeah,
0: either one whichever one comes on will be our favorite so uh let the competition begin
1: (laughs) (laughs) any last thoughts
0: for you i really enjoyed it i Mm -hmm. think it's enjoyable for someone who's newer to the art world um and it's a part of the art world that like is so i don't want to say out of our reach but so high up Mm
1: -hmm. that it's just
0: not a day-to-day thing you think about i guess
1: yeah, because you def you have to be at a certain level to be even in an auction. Yeah, as it, an artist, I mean,
0: for from the artist side, from to be um, welcome to buying, <laughs> like it's such a different part of the art world that we don't hear about or talk about really. So mm-hmm. it was fascinating.
1: Yeah, I recommend it. Me too. All right, it's been fun. Yeah, don't forget. As always, you can find us on Art World Podcast on Instagram, theartworldpodcast.com, and we promise that we are going to start putting more information on our website. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, we are. Check us out. (laughs) All
0: right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.